are two friends going through big changes in our lives, just like so many other people that we know. No matter how happy we are, life is always throwing us a curveball. And we have found that having a friend to talk it through and discover new tools with has been key to figuring out who we are now as we evolve through these life transitions. So join us as we grow and learn and nourish our souls together. together. Hello, Jill. Hi, Malin. My soul sister, Malin. Welcome. I always feel like I'm a southern, southern belle when I say this. Hello, my soul sister, Malin. Sorry. I love it. Welcome to Who Am I Now? and our Soul Nourishing Collective. Hello, I'm Melinda. I'm Jill. I didn't mean to talk over you. You're good. What do you think? Should we put away our befores? We we have a lot of befores to put away today. We do. We will get into that for sure. Okay. Good befores. But befores. Shoes are off. I'm in a comfy little position here. We have new chairs today. Melinda and I are in comfy chairs. So if you happen to think think to yourself, oh, Melinda and Jill sound real relaxed. Chairs make a difference. Seriously. We're in these nice little comfy chairs on some blankets. Yes. Well, we're awake. We're awake. We're we are. super excited to share we're lots of excited. things with you. We're very excited. We're tired, but we're excited. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Wonderful. So, Melinda, yes. what are you curious about today? Well, Jill, thank you for asking. Today, I really have been, and I think this will tie into what we want to talk about, about this weekend, but I have been really curious about community. And connection. What? No way. (laughs) I knew you'd be excited about that. What? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So for those of you who listen often, this is Jill's response when there's like a a thing that we're both thinking about at the same time. Last time Melinda did it, she was completely silent. And you you didn't get to see her expression. That's right. But, oh, my gosh. I was literally just having a conversation about this yesterday. Okay. All right. I love it. Tell me more about what you mean about mm. this. Well, I feel like everywhere I turn, there is some kind of a study or discussion. You sent me a study this morning, actually, mm-hmm. which was, you know, timely. about, And also just in the activities, just noticing activities that bring us together and make us feel that sense of connection, that sense of community, recognizing how nature teaches us about working together in cooperation and about community, um, I just feel like everywhere I turn, there's been, like you said, a, a conversation. And definitely this event that we did yesterday at my house. Oh, please tell everyone what we did yesterday. In. Okay. So yesterday we celebrated the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. And we kind of, you know, tweaked it a little bit to work into our spirituality, but not much because actually there's a lot of real spirituality to be found in Judaism. So Sukkot is a celebration of the harvest, but it's a time really where you are being grateful for all the earth provides you. And, you know, again, as we always talk about God, uh, if you have a certain belief system, then God definitely is a part of that, or you can just be grateful to the earth. But it's about uh, really being, spending time recognizing our lessons from nature and feeling grateful for, for nature. But what we also found was when we did this event, so everybody came over to my house and Jill and I did a program where we talked about these kinds of things 
And then we talked about Sukkot and what that is. And then, well, Jill led us in a little, um, kind of got us in a good mindful state, helped us kind of get in touch with being grounded and, and feeling in symbiosis with nature. And then we went out and we gathered branches and plants and all kinds of things, being grateful as we were, you know, to the tree when we cut the branch. And, um, and then we decorated the sukkah together. And that time of decorating was, I just felt such a sense of community with this group of women who, again, it was a group of women who not everybody knew everybody. And not everyone was familiar with the with the Jew, with right. Jewish traditions or right. culture. Now, can you uh, remind people or explain to people what this what the what we were decorating? Yes. So, oh, sorry, <laughs> that's important. So we were decorating what's called a sukkah. So Sukkot gets its name from sukkah. So in the in the Jewish tradition of Sukkot, you are supposed to put up a this kind of a tent. It's a little different than a normal tent because it has just some bamboo rods over the top because you're supposed to be able to see the sun uh, or see the stars. And the idea is that if you don't allow yourself to feel the rain, if you protect yourself from the rain, then you can't see the stars. And if you don't allow yourself to get a little hot, you'll never see the sun. It leads into this belief or this uh, reminder you need the good and the bad. Balance. You need the balance. You need the joy and the pain. Otherwise, you are not living a full, rich life. Your life is just, they say, you're sleepwalking through life. So now prior to doing some of our programming or some of the activities, and as we shifted and moved towards nature and going on our walk and decorating the tent, um, there were props everyone yes. theater girl jill yes. <laughs> was loving the fact that there were props yes there was myrtle and something it wasn't a lemon but it was it's, a it's called a um sorry it's called a neck drug um but we had that and we, there was like like what there was like this little like holder for yes for the myrtle and the bamboo shoot. bamboo shoot uh-huh. um and then you sh- before you had a little a little blessing little blessing that's mm-hmm. it thank you blessing uh we're very tired so just <laughs> be patient with us today <laughs> um but like you had a little blessing and with mm-hmm. those props as i will call them i hope that's not offensive to anyone we shook them to the north south east west up you know, to mm-hmm. the sun, down to the earth, and then we held them to our heart. And there was uh, the being the person that's always fascinated with body work. There was something so powerful about um, the physicalization of a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, every culture, you know, lots of religions and practices have physicalizations to them, whether it's kneeling or uh, rosaries or you know, uh, doing the sign of the cross mm-hmm. there, there I'm always curious and fascinated with what you gain with that physicalization. So that was some of the parts that I was remembering so much yesterday, but go ahead. No, I, I just think actually, you know, doing something physical, doing an activity with a group of people is what really brings together that community. So really Mm. that ties in exactly Um, because we're not, there is something wonderful about sitting around and talking, but if you think about it, there is a definite 
different energy when you are doing an activity activity together. It does provide a different kind of communal energy when you are working together for a common goal and doing something creative and lighthearted and fun uh, just brings this wonderful spirit of ease and commonality together and cooperation. Uh, And it's just such a beautiful thing. And there really are, you know, you sent me a study today. There are all kinds of studies out there, as we've talked about. I believe we talked about this in one of our episodes, um, about the fact that being in community really does, again, increase your lifespan, increase your health, increase your mood. It does all of it. All of that mind-body-soul connection are affected positively by being in community with others. 100%. And, you know, my my thoughts are going in five different directions of, you know, I'm thinking of just my, my community here in Austin, Texas, and struggles that our community, you know, hyper-local and within our state, you know, how our communities are facing challenges or uh, our, our growth spurt in mm-hmm. uh, in this time and age in Texas and in Austin. Um, I'm thinking about, um, you know, how historically we have approached tackling community efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking in my own health journey, how being focused on a communal activity gives me the purpose that shifts my mindset away from spiraling into the I feel bad today or my legs aren't working or you know like I'm not my body's not behaving as I want it to Mm -hmm. when I'm focused on others it's reminding me of art therapy and why art therapy is so theater drama therapy art therapy um, music therapy Um, it usually involves doing an activity or an exercise Mm -hmm. with others Mm -hmm. um, and that exchange that happens of two or more people working on a common goal mm-hmm. um, is a powerful uh, healing force. Yes. And even the, the, the reading that we've done with Bruce Lipton, that's why I was absolutely like my jaw hit the floor when I read in his book, Biology of Belief. He is a um, cell biologist um, and professor and researcher and he has sort of spent his entire life exploring down to the lowest common denominator. What are, what are our cells doing and what, what can we learn from our cells? And our mm. cells at the lowest con- d- common denominator are about cooperation and community. They designate tasks. They delegate. Mm. Our cells mm-hmm. delegate. So like our, at our core biological level and state we are designed for collaboration and community and what does that say right it says that that's the core of who we are I love it and you know that's um we talked a little bit about this yesterday at our celebration about how in I am my favorite uh-huh. documentary of all times. Melinda, please explain <laughs> for those that are just tuning in okay. and don't have the, the I wisdom. Let, uh, let's, let, Melinda's like should be getting stock from the <laughs> I Am documentary. I just reference it all the time. Uh, it's Tom Shadiak is the director and creator of this wonderful documentary called I Am, which I think now you can 
I think you can stream it on Amazon. I get no money from Amazon, by the way, or from I am. Um, <laughs> but I am is just a wonderful documentary about uh, Tom Shadyac's kind of own exploration into this world. He was he says what I love is he says we started out trying to figure out what was wrong with the world, and we ended up figuring out what was right with the world. Mm. That gives me chills every every single time. But he he also he had had he uh, had a bicycle accident yes, and yep. had a concussion That's and right. so he was also exploring healing like a right. better understanding his own healing because he you know had this this extra time on his hands I mean I'm right he was in, you're right he was in a hyperbaric chamber and had to be for uh, extended periods of time and that's you're exactly right that's that's where this kind of contemplation started uh, we have totally digressed um, but but the community I wanna, yes so so he mentions that a guy named Huxley is the one who pushed forward the idea of survival of the fittest in Darwin's work. But in reality, the notion of survival of the fittest is only mentioned a couple of times. However, the terms love, cooperation, and nurturing are used numerous times uh, hundreds of times so it's really more of a core truth about nature is that it is cooperative it's communal it's not about survival of the fittest okay I want to take a moment and I say this phrase a lot friends out there in the soul nourishing collective are you full body listening right now Full body listening is slowing down, tuning in, asking yourself, am I breathing? Am I, am I present in this moment? Melinda, I want us to repeat that, those three words. What are the three words? <laughs> I may not say them in the same order. Love, cooperation, and nurturing. Those three words are at the basis of who we are as members of the natural world. <laughs> That's powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and there's like, I, I know I'm, I'm putting a little drama to this effect right now. And it's authentic. I, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I don't mean to be silly with this moment. But I do think it's important. And I do think that we need to full body listen and sort of resonate with that. Because... This is the very thing that I was talking about with a neighbor yesterday at an event about community. Mm. The stories that we have adopted over the years of what is community. Mm -hmm. um, and he was asking me in our you know lengthy conversation, why do you think we struggle with communitying right now? And I told him that I felt that it was because we have over the decades mm -hmm. personally you know I feel like since World War II since like some of the uh, initiatives and programs that we adopted programs of you know go out and buy the single family home and go get your quarter of an acre that was a marketing initiative mm. uh, a housing initiative uh, and I think ever since that age we have sort of adopted this idea once we left the tribes mm -hmm. um, 
from and we left the small communities and we went off to the big city to make it, to make it and, you know, I'm going to, you know, make my mark and, you know, be somebody. Right. That we got tripped up and forgot how to be in a community together and how to help support each other. That oftentimes it is love, it is cooperation, it is nurturing, it is a collaborative, cooperative effort Mm -hmm. that leads to the greatest successes and uh, efforts Mm -hmm. in our in our lives in in our country and in our nations and in our on on earth like it's it's community collaborative efforts I do feel very passionately that until we can recognize Mm -hmm. I'm putting up my number one until we can recognize that we're living in a story that doesn't fully capture our potential as members of in this global earth. Mm-hmm. Recognize that that's a story that isn't serving us and open up our perspective to consider another story. Mm-hmm. That, that we're going to continue to trip up in this idea of survival of the fittest and I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, in the city or I'm going to be someone there is this there has been this growing um individual individualization yeah mm-hmm. individualization the mm-hmm. individual success story mm-hmm. separate mm-hmm. separate from our neighbors mm-hmm. um and it's getting us really tripped up I'm sorry can you tell I got a little passionate there <laughs> don't apologize um it is something that I think we need to be passionate about it's also, I think, this idea when we started to individualize like that, I think that it also helped promote the narrative of lack. So this whole Ooh. idea that I'm going to be more successful than anyone else and I'm going to take all the success. Or if you get successful, I can't let you get too successful because then I can't be successful because there's not enough to go around. And... In reality, we live in a world of abundance, but we have been so sold this belief that we live in a world of lack because it enables more competition, right? And there has been a belief in this patriarchal world that we've lived in that competition makes us more successful. It might make you money. But it doesn't make us successful as human beings. And I know that sounds so corny, but it's really true because the more you separate yourself from the group, the unhealthier you're going to be, the unhappier you're going to be, the more isolated you're going to be. And obviously, this is such a problem in our world today because that's why there are so many people suffering from loneliness. Suicides are up, <sighs> especially from in the male gender, I young, think. Even. Our young men. Mm-hmm. And our and our middle aged men, yeah, are struggling. There was a an article, I think, the, was it the New York Times that did the article about this huge rise in loneliness in men, and uh, I think that's an effect of exactly what we're talking about. Exactly, you you really were just talking about is sort of how historically we've been. Everyone blames social media, and I'm not saying that social media isn't a part of that because we have this sort of. There's a word, and I don't know, what, I can't remember what the word is. There's a word where you feel sort of a faux belief that you're a member of community, but being in a community online does not, it's not an exchange of energy. 
It's not this, we talked about electrons and the effect that our electrons have on each other. That can't happen when you're just sitting in your room alone on your phone. It's not a real shared experience. So I know you've heard me talk about this book often, and it's it's a thick, meaty, life-altering book. But at some point, you know, I'll, I would love to read through it with you. But uh, Daniel Quinn's Ishmael, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, he kind of talks through the the historical journey that we've been on as human beings to gather up more than we can use Mm -hmm. Um, and the development that journey to this current narrative of I'm going to go off and you know be a be someone and amass things we certainly have we see it all around us right now Mm -hmm. you know with with the celebrity um, you know focus on all the people that have the bigger houses and the the boats and the yachts and the cars and the things so many things mm-hmm. um it, it it has unleashed this um appetite for more is better mm-hmm. hoarding up and and interesting enough like yesterday when i was sitting in that tent mm-hmm. i the felt sukkah. the sukkah mm-hmm. i felt so provided for mm. i felt provided for mm-hmm. and i had was there six women around me? Mm, seven. And I, we had so much more. It was by no means was it a feast. No, right. But it was but nuts, berries, cheese. We had plenty to eat too. Water, vegetables, vegetables, uh, and I yeah, didn't. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was amazing. salt. I felt like I had all that I needed. I had women around me that we're fine seeing me sweat and yes we're seeing each <laughs> melt other in the sun we're in texas um and be my authentic self and i had uh, a few pieces of food to nourish my you know my body mm-hmm. but uh conversation to nourish my soul and mm-hmm. mind um i could have stayed in that tent in fact we're going but you know books book club right you know we're doing another book club and we're going to be in the sukkah tomorrow night that's right um so I just, I, anyway, it just made me think about Ishmael's, you know, Daniel Quinn's book. And, you know, historically, there was a time where we made a choice as humans, as a society, to hoard and lock up the food mm-hmm. and only give it away to certain people. Right. And what did that choice unleash? Mm-hmm. And yeah. our story as human beings. Yeah. It's so interesting. And actually, remember, we talked yesterday at our celebration about one of the lessons from nature is that they, nature doesn't take more than it needs. Oh, you know, that's I said, powerful. You know, you don't walk around seeing these hugely overweight deer, right? Or a hugely overweight bird, you know? Um, they eat what they need, and then that's all that all they have. Um and we, it is such a great lesson for us. And, you know, it makes me think of, oh, I like that, so I'm just going to buy it. I like that, so I should buy it. I, li- I need to own it. If I like it, I need to own it, right? And um, Eckhart Tolle talks about the ability to see something in a shop window, say, and to spend time just looking at it and appreciating it and appreciating it for what it is and for its beauty mm. and not having a need to own it, right? Mm. It's And it really... That was so affecting to me when I heard him say that. 
And it really helped me start being better about just stopping and looking and appreciating. Because I think we have a tendency to almost do it without thought, you know, in some cases. People who can afford it will walk around and say, oh, I like that. I'm just going to grab, you know, and you kind of, people are, or online, my gosh. I mean, just, oh, oh like this and this and this and this. In a New York <laughs> yeah. Minute. And I know you and I were uh, introduced to morning altars uh, in the past year by a, a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Shout out Diane. Yeah. Uh, nature altars, morning altars. Uh, I forget the the last name of the author. David something with an S. Um, we'll have to share it in our social medias with with folks. But there's a, a book called Morning Altars, and mm-hmm. an individual, as he was working through his grieving process, mm-hmm. um, chose to step outside and start spending more time out in nature. And as an artist, he started making these. Um, morning altars mm-hmm. and then he developed a, a ritual and a habit and then he he lists out these seven habits uh that you can use in the morning altar the the nature altars routine and one of the last ones is practicing at unattachment mm. so g- this idea of going outside creating art with nature you know, leaves mm-hmm. that fall. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the live oak trees are falling in Texas, and uh, I have more acorns in my front yard. They're like, <laughs> I feel like they're like attacking my house and car these days. But I've started making altars with um, with the acorns and the little hat. I call them the little hats, um, acorn, acorn tops. Uh, but he clears a space, creates like a blank canvas, mm-hmm. has a meditative space for it, makes the uh, art, takes a picture mm-hmm. so that he can share with friends, honor the moment, and then wash it away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we really struggle with, I think, as a modern society is when grief happens, we don't know what, we're not practiced right. at right. What do we do with that loss? How do we live with those memories? And I loved the routine that he created at practicing um, going out, having a wonderful, precious, joyful, happy moment with something, Mm -hmm. making it, taking a snapshot or a drawing of it. Um, and then washing it away. That's what Burning Man is all about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they make art out in the desert and they burn it. And the, the art that they create, it's all about the journey, the right. process of creation. Um, and enjoy the fact that we have memories to relive an experience. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, um, I think it was on Armchair Expert. I was hearing them talk about a documentary where a guy was trying over and over again to do I think a trick on a skateboard some kind of a trick let's say it was a trick on a skateboard and they, the documentary followed him for years trying to do this very difficult trick and he worked at it and worked at it and I think it was like five years and he finally did it he nailed the trick and his excitement and enjoyment of that five years of work lasted about three minutes Mm -hmm. and that is such a big problem for all of us that dopamine hit that we get from accomplishing something is very fleeting just as you're saying it's so true we need to find the joy in the journey in the process of getting to a point that that was that was literally my uh i 
got my MFA in acting at the University of Texas at Austin. And my, uh, my thesis, my master's paper was the journey, not the destiny. Mm. Love that. You know, like focus on the journey Mm -hmm. and whatever that destination may be might be different. Uh, but if you focus your attention on the building blocks, we, you know, in acting, I always, you know, I had a wonderful acting teacher that talked about set up all the dominoes, focus setting up the dominoes in its pattern Mm -hmm. just right. And one tap, they will all fall down Mm -hmm. exactly how they need to. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the journey, the journey is what it's about, but we are so, so how, what are some other things that we can do in our day to day or in our lives, um, in our families or jobs, what can we do, Melinda, to, to focus on that journey? Because it's like mm-hmm. the destination mm-hmm. and the prize mm-hmm. and the award mm-hmm. is so front and center, especially mm-hmm. with social media. All right. What can we do? I think this harks back to our discussion on the present moment. It's a really, if we can bring ourselves on that journey into the present moment and start to take some real joy by paying attention to what's happening what is happening there what is and what are all of our senses telling us what are we seeing what are we hearing what are we smelling how is it making us feel in the moment as we are working on this journey it's in the present moment is where we can really find that joy and that peace and that satisfaction I got to be honest. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I'm he- I'm listening to you. I am and have been aware for a long time how stuck I am mm-hmm. in an achievement-oriented story mm-hmm. or um, life focus um, that slowing down didn't quite help me. I, I know I've shared this with you before, but in my health journey during the pandemic, there was a a chapter where I was struggling to walk. We didn't know what was going on. I was seeing so many different doctors. I couldn't go to the Mayo Clinic because they weren't accepting anyone during the pandemic. Um, I was just, you know, juggling 11 doctors at the time. And I didn't know what I was facing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if this was the end, you know, like something was clearly wrong. Blood work was all over the place and doctors were referring me left and right to another person. The one person thought I was, I'd had a stroke um, uh, and was telling me if I didn't get my blood pressure in order every time it was over this number, I was playing Russian roulette with my life, mm-hmm. which, you know, that just shot my anxiety, you know, off the charts. Um, but I remember there was one day, you know, my husband and I would go out on a walk uh, and I would use uh, walking st- walking sticks, mm-hmm. uh, poles to get around the block because I was only able to go go around the block. And I remember feeling like I was prepared for like the news to be something catastrophic. Sure. Um, and I remember one day after this one neurologist had was convinced that I had a stroke, which I did not. Um, that might be a whole nother podcast <laughs> on doctors and the healthcare industry. But I remember there was, there was a small handful of things that became my focus at that time of the only thing that mattered to me is that I wanted to, I wanted to know 
Um, did my friends know that I loved them? Mm-hmm. That's all that mattered at that time. Did my friends know that I loved them? Of course, did my family, did my child know that I, that I believed in him? Mm-hmm. Did he know what he meant to me? It was friends, family, and did my family know where to find my, uh, you know, the heirloom jewelry that I had sure. inherited? Sure. Like, that was it, Melinda. Uh-huh. There was in none of that realm mm-hmm. during that really focused time was I worried about what I had mm-hmm. physically, mm-hmm. Um, money, achievements. Right. I was certainly more mindful of was I leaving my creativity out there? Was I sharing my story as I wanted it to be shared? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, the stuff that I was worried about was did people know my heart? Yeah. Did people know that I loved them? Mm-hmm. It just, it's such a great example. And because you were really at the potentially seen an end to your life, you got down to the what's the most important, which is, again, the people, right? Just what we're the talking people, about. Connection, community. connection, community, all of it. I mean, it is the most important thing. And, you know, you hear a lot of things. I think feel like we just discount um, because we've heard them too many times. So they become cliched. But, you know, the whole you can't take it with you, you know, um, the whole idea of on your deathbed, you're not going to think about all of the accolades that you've had, but you're going to think about the people uh, in your life. And, and that that's, but the reason that it's a cliche is because it's true. It's the absolute truth. And thank you for sharing that. And that was just my long winded way of saying, for me, it was going through that real life experience of realizing, oh, all this stuff. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And all these awards, they're like, I don't even know where some of my awards are, (laughs) you know, from the work stuff that I've done, the little glass or plastic things that they give you, Mm -hmm. like they're packed away and I barely remember them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I get, but I still get tripped up, but I've had Mm -hmm. to almost literally, like there's some programs that I have participated in, in my industry and my profession Mm -hmm. that I chose to not participate in this year oh so I was like you know what I got to get off the hamster wheel Good for you. and that was initially scary oh mm-hmm. and it was the FOMO of like oh am I not a part of the tribe mm-hmm. am I not am I not meaningful do I not have worth but like I haven't thought a moment about it mm-hmm. I just stepped off the hamster wheel you know I think that is so amazing and everything that you're talking about is comes back to that idea of our inner narrator, right? That this voice in our head that starts spinning these stories and telling us things that aren't true. I was thinking about when you're mentioning those awards. Were there any awards that you remember sitting in the audience and oh. thinking, "Oh my gosh, I hope I win! I really hope I win!" Or ever? Or I mean, was it just like the most important thing that yes. ever? Yeah. And I ask you that only because, of course, anyone listening yeah. to this can relate to that, right? We've all been in those situations where in that moment, all of a sudden, that's the most important thing in the world. And then here we are, you know, a few years later, and you don't even know where the award is, right? It just is so fascinating how we are able to convince ourselves that certain things are so important in the moment. When really, again, the only thing that ultimately ever sticks with us 
is the love that we have for the people in our lives. That's the only thing that's really lasting and that is really true. And that kind of gets to that whole idea of how do you know when the story in your head is true or not? How, because it feels like, you know, 90% of the 50,000 thoughts we have every day are, which is an actual number. I think they did a study and it's around 50,000 thoughts that we have every day. And so many of those thoughts are negative thoughts, actually, Ugh. or are leading us to spin out into something that is not true. And then how do we then discover or realize when it's actually the truth? And it's really about stopping and asking yourself, is this true? If you, you can catch yourself when you're spinning, and the more you get into the habit of catching yourself, the more quickly you'll be able to. Um, I think you can attest to that. I can certainly attest to that, that it's like that muscle that you just have to keep practicing it. When you catch yourself and then you ask yourself, is it true? Then your inner narrator initially is going to say like, yeah, yes, it's true. Of course it's true. And then, but if then if you ask and kind of go deeper, is it really true? Then you might go, well, maybe it's not true. Then if you ask yourself a third time and you really, again, really you have to dig deep and think, is it really, really true? And then you'll realize it's not but it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, do you, when you think of community, do you think of a specific size mm. or structure to it? That's because so I, I, um, I see it defined different ways. And I, I sometimes see people, even myself, get tripped up of thinking, I don't have enough friends, or yes. I don't, like, she's not my friend, or, you know, I'm not in that group, or right. this group, um, you know, like, what, and do we think men need different community mm -hmm. network than women? Mm. Um, I was having an interesting conversation with my husband about that. I was literally asking him, you know, do you think... Men need friends differently than women. Do you mm. think men need more for like? Do you think women need more friends than men? Mm -hmm. Because wouldn't you say that mm -hmm. most women have several like yes, a, a, like a tribe of right. girlfriends right. that go and do things. And men sometimes have a tendency to have one or two. Uh -huh. I mean, I don't. I I I will acknowledge that what I'm saying might be myself falling into a stereotype of. Uh, of definitions but uh -huh. what do you think about you know how much community do you need right well scientifically speaking and I believe we talked about this in another podcast we really only scientifically speaking need one really good close friend and that makes the difference between uh, being a smoker or a non-smoker right is having a friend or not however Having a community of people is also incredibly important for us because we were designed to live in cooperation and, commu and community with others. I think that there is a tendency for men to have less friends, but I, you know, it's interesting. I think, or I wonder how much of that is the yang that men tend to have more of, or is it because of the way our society is structured and has been structured in kind of this patriarchy where men are so busy in their jobs, they just quite literally cannot get out and be in community. 
when if you're in a traditional family, which I realize is less and less so now, uh, and I applaud that for sure, but um, that women have been the ones who tend to have tended to take the kids to school and had, you know, time to build more of a community. And I would say women who are working now um, are probably finding themselves, I don't know, are they finding themselves having less connection? I don't know. I just, you know, just the, the conversation that, that my husband and I were having was coming back to a topic that we had uh, sort of uh, expanded on a couple of podcasts ago about sort of the compounding effect of uh, our inherited stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that th- this is, it's, it's a part of our culture. Yeah. Like, this is what women do. This is what well, men do. I think do. that's a great the, point. the structure of patriarchy or the structure of, um, you know, the, the women's network. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that all women have more girlfriends. That that's not right. that's not the case. That's not what I'm implying. Um, I just wondered if, uh, I guess, really what I was getting at and exploring a little bit today is, uh, are women more apt, or or is it more intuitive or natural for them to share more deeply mm. and to build? stronger emotional bonds does that mm-hmm. make sense mm-hmm. um and do do our young men do our men that we raise in our modern culture know how to build strong bonds i mean i certainly you know we're we're a theater family and love literature um you know we go back to the you go back to the victorian era and the era where men were in um gentlemen's cl- i mean I say gentlemen's clubs, and I'm thinking like not. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking around the world in 80 days. Like I'm thinking, right, you right. know, like the Darwin era, right. where you know, not gentlemen, strippers. not strippers. strippers. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. But you know, men would go and mm-hmm. you know have drinks and have yeah. a cigar, and they would have a room Great and they point. would exchange Fabulous ideas, point. and there were Fabulous strong, point. strong mm-hmm. bonds mm-hmm. around sharing and exchanging and supporting each other, and mm-hmm. we've seen so many movies and stories and books and you know about that culture I just like where did that get lost and I'll tell you where my mind has been going recently just because I've been doing a lot of studying about it uh, in my profession as a real estate agent is the the housing movement and trends that moved away from cities um, encouraged people to go out into the suburbs mm-hmm. and get your own individual house and it's a page it's your patriotic duty it was a 19 late 30s 1940s housing initiative mm-hmm. because there was a housing crisis in the cities and so they were they were incentivizing people to go out and get that little you know, of quarter land. of an acre mm-hmm. perfect little mid-century house that we you know and there's still amazing advertisements that you can still google you know, the housing, the American dream initiative, Google that, and you'll see some of the most amazing ads that were in our newspapers and in the movies. But now it's, it's led us all away Mm -hmm. and into our, you know, just the family unit, Mm -hmm. the husband, the wife, the kids, Mm -hmm. and the wife goes off to do things. We're still living with 1950s culture structures Mm -hmm. and it's not working. You know, the stats right now nationally is Greater than 90% of uh, American homes 
in our nation are no longer affordable. I know. They're not affordable uh, to yeah. young families mm-hmm. or young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have affordability. People are being, you know, uh, you know, their only option are in these apartments that don't really have community culture. You go and you have your space, but we're, we don't know where to community right now. We don't know how to collaborate or, and we're, we're shoved off into our neo tribes of, um, online groups. So Hmm. how do, how do you think we get back to this? Well, okay. So I think it's interesting because what you're talking about is going from apartment living in a city where your grocery store was there and everybody was kind of living communally together moving out to the suburbs, but now we're all coming back to apartments. We're coming back to apartments, but but we don't have walkability. We don't have access to grocery stores, libraries. Right, right. We're, we're isolated. We've been pushed out to the suburbs and we're now back into those. That's good. But would you, well, I'm also wondering if, and kind of to your point about sort of these inherited traits that we have and inherited mindsets that we have is it also possible that part of the issue is that we're all now living in these apartments together, but we have we have lost our understanding of what it is to be in community? Because, I mean, all of these apartment buildings have these community rooms, these community areas, and you don't see people just gathering together down there, right? No. You really don't. It's um, really fascinating. Everybody keeps to themselves. There'll be a, an apartment pool, and no one is going around visiting with each other. You know, people used to pop in and out of each other's homes, right? And they don't do that anymore. Oh, my goodness. You're reminding me. You know, I've been looking um, at all our old family videos of our Super 8. You know, yes. we've, got, we've got like five five reels of these videos. And one of them, uh, my first place that I lived was an apartment in York, Pennsylvania. And my dad still loves to tell stories of all the activities that we had at our apartment activity center and the pool. All of my, some of my favorite family videos are of me as my brother and I, when we were, when he was like six and I was, you know, just a baby, Mm -hmm. you know, three Santa's, you know, workshop at our apartment complex community center. And then we did this, uh, like pool games and all these like pool parties that we had and they're all on, we we were all doing activities together. The kids were in playdates together. Yeah. It was communal. Mm-hmm. In my little neighborhood I grew up in, we all, we lived on the circle. And we, all the kids of the neighborhood, right, would all get together and we would ride our bikes together and we would have kickball games. And, you know, we all, and the, our moms would all get together and drink coffee, you know. It was very funny. We all one night um, decided we were going to, we were all going to sneak and go a little further than we were supposed to on our bikes. And we went to this candy store <laughs> to buy candy. And we came back and all of our parents were at one person's house. And they were all, every one of us got in trouble. They had a united front <laughs> to uh, get on to us all and punish us. <laughs> so oh my goodness. it was very funny. But everybody was over at my next door neighbor's house, actually. It was very funny. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's, again, that's how... We, we were living, and, and we have just uh, really become isolated, and that's what the illness is, right? That's what this illness is that's kind of going through our society. It's also why it's so easy now for us to see people as other. And I guess I need to put a caveat on that because 
definitely racism still existed. Definitely people were not open to any LGBTQ yeah. uh, people. So I, I guess I'm wrong in saying other. But I'm thinking we weren't othering people who just had different opinions than we did, right? Different ideas than we did, yeah. at least. Yeah. I, um, I know you and I definitely, you know, in, t- in retelling these lovely stories of the 70s are not denying that that there were definite issues there there was you know separation and and exclusion happening in so many different ways right for sure so you know and so I think that we you know we just at that time it just seemed like if you had if you had a different though political affiliation you know I wouldn't have cared Mm -hmm. you know um but now wow it's just has gotten so extreme. Yeah. And I think it's part of it is because we're so we're isolated from each other. We're not we're not taking the time to hear each other. Oh, for sure. But so this right here, mm-hmm. oftentimes just you and I getting together, like uh, the narrative in my head is like, all right, I'm starting with one. Yeah. I'm starting with Melinda. Like I'm and I don't mean that to say, you know, in terms of listening, but like uh, in terms of being more cooperative and more community focused in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I am carving out dedicated focused time every week to be in community with you. Yes. And it just blows my mind sometimes to think of the gazillion things that I am learning just in that act alone. I agree. Just making an intentional, making intentional time for a friend, mm-hmm. one friend. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Can I just, I agree with you completely, but I also want to point, I want to go back because I don't think we talked, We there was something else I wanted to say when you asked me the question about numbers of people in community. Okay. And you're 100% yeah. right about one person. I completely agree with you. But I was thinking about when you and I do our programs and how we talked about the fact that we intentionally keep them very small. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to do around eight people total, including us. So we usually only invite about X, about X, about six people. I can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> we try to invite only about six, maybe eight people. And the reason is because there is something about a small number of people that at least in our mindsets today, and the way that we operate today helps keep our inhibitions lowered. We are less self-conscious when we are in a smaller group of people than when we're in a larger. We also can't hide from each other. Mm-hmm. And there aren't side conversations. Everyone can join into the same conversation. And all of those things help build a stronger sense of community when you're with a group of people. When you're in a group of 100 people, or 30 people even, it's very easy to kind of sit in the back and not contribute. You also know that you're being seen when you're in a smaller group. Oh, 100%. And yesterday at our event, someone had shared the, just the casualness and the, the, um, the small nature of the group just made it feel authentic and approachable. Mm-hmm. And uh, friends, this, this podcast grew out of, you know, A, 
the time, the intentional time that Melinda and I have been spending together. But right. over the past year, you know, as we continue to share that other other friends and members of our community have been asking the question, who am I now? Mm-hmm. So we've been doing ladies retreats. Yeah. Um, and one of our one of the retreats that we did this past year, full weekend retreat was a who am I now that allowed us to work through our Melinda's uh, meditation work, my body work, my daydream initiative. We just, you know, we did forest bathing and art mm-hmm. and sculpture and journaling and marsh and we danced around we uh-huh, we had a we kitchen did, dance we had a kitchen dance yes um which was my favorite and remind me we did that what was the the jewish blessing that we did with the where we had nuts and oh the to be shavat yes yes remind me what that is okay well so to be shavat is similar to sukkot in that it is a time to be grateful for what we get from the earth, but it's a specific focus on the trees. So that's right. To be Shabbat focuses on focuses on all of the different things that we get from trees. So we look at nuts. We look at things that have pits within them, seeds without, uh, on the outside of them, etc. No seeds, etc. And you do a little uh, seder, which is like a little ceremonial meal with all of the things that you get from the trees and uh, and again it just brings you back to the basics of nature and being grateful and paying attention to what nature has to teach us so we've just been enjoying melinda and i've been enjoying unleashing our creativity you know and in collaborating with a lot of our our community Mm -hmm. we you know some of our workshops we've had people teach us about english paper piecing yes um and and sewing as a meditative practice you know dance Mm -hmm. movements where we learned about the nature altars it's exactly where we learned about the morning altars from diane and it's it's wonderful to be in this place where being in our community and listening and tuning in and slowing down for the community gives us opportunities to learn from them and lift up our our health and wellness. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. That's and that's what a community is all about: is learning from each other, getting getting lessons from each other, and finding you know finding uh, support and uh, and you know learning new things. I think it's wonderful. We all have something to bring. Well, I love that we got to talk about community today because that was, you know, a hot topic yesterday at my open house, talking with neighbors and sharing ideas with them. And then after our our celebration yesterday, I can't wait to get into the suka 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 tent. Yes, again, um, that was really meaningful. I'm so happy, and it is going to be a wonderful and nourished my I- soul. Yay! Exactly. That's what we do. That's what we do, Jill. I um and you know next time we won't be quite so tired. I think we were a little we we're a no, little we're tired, just, but we're, we're happy just tired fun here. I know this we're is a little tired. bit longer today, but uh, we're, ha- we're happy tired though today. But we just yeah we just enjoy. This is like our little you know girls yeah. late night almost like college time sitting and talking about you know fun deep conversations mm-hmm. and deep topics. So yes. um so thanks for being with us. Yeah, and always message us at. At our soul nourishing collective at gmail.com. Questions, thoughts, message us and we'll we'll look forward to next session and mm-hmm. exploring things with you and maybe um, tell us at what if there's books or programs or questions that you have. Yes. 
Onward we go, my friends. Onward we go.